WBEZ is supported by Chicago Humanities, presenting live events with historians Doris Kearns Goodwin and John Meacham, comedian Reggie Watts, and filmmaker Miranda July, and artists Hebrew Brantley and Amanda Williams in conversation. Plus, MSNBC chief correspondent Ali Velshi on small yet powerful acts of courage throughout history. Tickets for these events and more conversations on arts, culture, and current affairs at chicagohumanities.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. I'm Patrick Smith, in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Summer is in full swing, but even with folks taking vacations and traveling, the news hasn't stopped. The Highland Park community reflected on one year since the July 4th shooting. In the year since Highland Park's July 4th parade attack, authorities have determined that there were several instances where accused shooter Robert Cremo III might have been snared by the state's red flag laws. Chicago streets turned to rivers over the weekend. Heavy rain flooded Chicago streets and homes with up to nine inches of rain falling in parts of the metro area on Sunday. And disturbing allegations were raised about several Chicago police officers. The Chicago Police Department confirms there is an investigation underway of officers allegedly having sexual relations with migrants living at a West Side police station. With me to break down these stories and more is Jacoby Cochran, host of CityCast Chicago, a daily podcast and newsletter, Hannah Mizell, state government and politics reporter for Capital News Illinois, and Brandon Pope, reporter and anchor at CW26 and host of WBEZ's Making Podcast. I'm really excited to chop it up with all, all three of you, and we're going to have some fun later in the hour, but there's some really heavy stories we have to get into. Um, we're going to start with some news that broke late last night. The Chicago Police Department confirms it's investigating allegations that officers engaged in sex with newly arrived migrants being housed at police stations, including an allegation that that one of the officers impregnated a teenage girl. We had Gary and Gatewood, the city's first ever deputy mayor of community safety on in the last hour. Here's what he had to say. The city prioritizes the utmost importance of these allegations and the well-being of every resident, including new arrivals. You know, our commitment has been and it continues to maintain the integrity uh, of the ongoing investigation, right, that's being conducted by CPD's Bureau of Internal Affairs and COPA. So as you know, with that investigation going on, we really can't provide further comments at this time. However, we do understand the significance of the matter. And we assure you and everybody listening and, and everybody who's in the city that we are fully dedicated to a thorough and impartial investigation. So, Brandon, you know, I asked Deputy Mayor Gatewood a few more questions about that. He kept kind of deferring back to we got to wait for the investigation to complete. And, you know, that makes some sense. This Mm -hmm. is really sensitive. And also, it's just important we have the facts right and we know what really happened here. But I wonder what you make of the city's response, the city's statement so far about these allegations. Yeah, you know, as they they try to process this, one thing, and me and Jacoby were talking about this earlier, the language being used feels like police speak and it Mm -hmm. isn't going Far enough in a sense. I'll let Jacoby go a little bit deeper on that. But this whole thing, I just think about how activists who are on the you know police accountability side really talk heavily about how they feel like we're in a system where we're 
overly reliant on policing Mm -hmm. and that we have created systems now where when we've had these migrants come in, these asylum seekers, they've had to stay in police stations and stuff like that. Um, And so when we have a system so reliant on policing, you know, Critics argue things like this, it's, it's open to happen, right? Because we haven't created real, reliable systems of care for people, rather systems of policing and accountability. So um, I just I think this just is a, is a representation of that, and I, I think it's really sickening. I mean, the moment I saw it, I'm just, like, disgusted to even hear that. Mm. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing what else comes out of it because this is some really grave and serious stuff here. You know, it's interesting you talk about police language, and Jacoby, I want to ask you about that, uh, because it's a discussion we were having before the show, which is the language we're using. I saw news outlets getting some criticism about the way they were writing about this, you know, talking about, you know, alleged improper sexual relations, impregnating a teenage girl. And I'll say as, as a reporter... It's really important to be careful about things. I think it's really important as a reporter to call something what it is and be as clear as you possibly can when you're writing or talking about something. But it's also important to be very careful, especially mm-hmm. early on in something like this. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear. The allegation is that that an officer impregnated a teenage girl. We don't know anything more about that. We don't know if 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 an officer had sex with with a, a young girl who was under the age of consent, that is rape. I mm-hmm. want to be clear about yeah. that language. We just don't know a lot yet. And so I wonder, Jacoby, if I could ask you to, to, to follow up on what Brandon was talking about here that apparently you two were talking about already about sort of the language that's being used around this. Uh, first, I want to speak to what Brandon was saying. Without systems of care, vulnerable people are left to be exploited. Yeah. They are left um, with, without cover, without justice for potential acts of violence. And even if these allegations are found to be untrue, uh, Thousands of migrants remain vulnerable in this city to sexual violence, to harassment. But when we're talking about the language that's being used, sure, I understand people want to be careful, but it seems that the word alleged does a lot of that. And it seems like what we're dealing with is alleged rape, alleged sexual coercion, potentially, because these migrants were, again, vulnerable individuals under the care of the places of shelter and the places of refuge that they were able to find uh, across the city of Chicago, which still needs to be held accountable for the lack of those places and sites of care. But from the allegations that I'm reading, it seems that we, you know, I think we should be calling these allegations potential rape and, and sexual coercion versus improper sexual relations. I, I'm not sure who is trying to be protected in that sort of particular framing uh, of the incident. And, mm-hmm. and I hope if these allegations are found to be true that, you know, this isn't just a situation of the police investigating themselves and so slaps on the wrist are handed mm-hmm. out. And also, you know, using sanitized language like that just kind of continues what these migrants have gone through already in these last, you know, almost year since uh, Republican governors, especially uh, Greg Abbott of Texas, has been sending these people here, their humanity has been erased because they've just been treated as political pawns. They mm-hmm. are bust here. Uh, and, you know, they because we have a shortage of housing uh, and, you know, because these bureaucratic systems, they work very slowly. Uh, they have been sleeping in police station that is really you know i that is it's really really upsetting that uh these people were they've traveled thousands of miles they were coerced into these situations and then when they get here they are mistreated like this Mm -hmm. allegedly 
Yeah, yeah and we're, we're going to obviously we we've got reporters now working on this story, trying to trying to get more information. We're going to keep following the story and reporting on these allegations, including alleged sex with with a, with a teenager. Um, a, as I talked about, uh, we heard from Deputy Mayor Gary and Gatewood, you know, a statement from, from Mayor Brandon Johnson um, said that the city takes these allegations seriously, as well as the care and well-being of all re- residents and new arrivals. But they're deferring to we got to wait for the investigation to take place, which I, I think makes some sense. Hannah, what, are we hearing anything from uh, state lawmakers or the governor? Uh, you know, during the news break, we heard from uh, Congressman Jesus Chue Garcia, who said this alleged behavior is completely unacceptable. Uh, this morning, I made sure uh, Governor Pritzker did a press conference in Springfield. So I asked uh, some of our Springfield-based reporter uh, colleagues to make sure he was asked. And he uh, said, you know, obviously it's horrific that people are taking advantage of. Um, but he also pointed to, oh, we are, you know, trying to find people more permanent shelter, um, make sure that people get rental assistance. But again, these things take a lot, a lot of time. And we have a housing shortage, you know, all over the place. Um, it's going to take a long, long time. Um, Representative Kelly Cassidy, a state rep from the Rogers Park area, said this is horrifying. This investigation better be swift, thorough, transparent. Um, you know, so I, I expect that we're going to hear more. But this is not a story that should be swept under the rug at all. No, no this idea of, of permanent, you know, more suitable housing. I, I wonder, Brandon, these allegations, which is all we know so far is that these allegations are out there. Do you think these allegations are going to force the city to rethink housing migrants at police stations at all? Absolutely. But I think the, the challenge here is just a logistical challenge, right? Because what spaces do we have to do that that can handle that? Um, the city's working, trying to find spaces as we speak, because it seems like all they had when people came in were the police stations. But this right here has to raise alarm and say, we got to find better systems here, better locations here um, that are going to be safer for these asylum seekers coming in. Um, it's just sleeping on a, on any type of floor of a lobby. Yeah. It's just it's just inhumane. Right. Whether it's a police station, a hospital, just it just isn't right. You want to find a place that's at least comfortable to a degree, right? I want to turn now to to another heavy but important story. The the 4th of July took on a different meaning for North Suburban Highland Park this year. One year after a mass shooting left seven dead and 48 injured. Brandon, I'll stay with you. I mean, how how did the community mark this tragedy? Yeah, look, you can only imagine the raw emotions, especially for those who are from Highland Park, who were at that parade a year ago to experience that type of terror. I can't even imagine. So really in a real big show of strength, hundreds of community members, they all wore blue. They talked about Highland Strong. Um, and, and they had a remembrance ceremony at City Hall. Uh, they also had a community picnic. Um, and many of them talked about trying to reclaim the parade route, you know, and not let, you know, this hateful person that came in, you know, define this stretch and define this day for them in a sense. Um, they skipped the fireworks. Um, fireworks tend to be a little more of a jovial thing, but they yeah. opted for something that was kind of cool. It was a drone light show um, to kind of like, you know, show some more uh, reverence and respect to those lives that were lost and wounded. And they had local artists perform as well. Um, but I think it's important to say the names of the people who who passed away in that tragedy. Nicholas Toledo, Katie Goldstein, Irina McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, Stephen Strauss, Jackie Sunheim and Eduardo Uvaldo. Those are the lives, the seven people that were taken in that. Um, And emotions still very heavy as 
the mayor, Nancy Rotering, and activists there are working actively trying to get more attention on gun safety reform and legislation. Um, and this really adding more urgency to that. But it was it was a solemn day, but also sort of a inspiring day, too, to see a community come together like that, grieving, hugging and helping each other through a painful time. Um, I appreciate you for saying those names. I think that that is most important that we're centering the the families that were most affected by this tragedy. Illinois' two U.S. Senators and Governor J.B. Pritzker joined the residents of Highland Park to remember the lives lost. I want to listen to a little bit of what the governor had to say. We passed laws in Illinois to keep people safe because people from Highland Park and all over the state got together to make the message clear to the General Assembly that we need stronger gun laws. Hannah, can you get us up to speed about where Illinois is a year after this massacre in terms of of new gun control legislation? Right. So in January, uh, the outgoing lame duck uh, General Assembly uh, Democrats, they pushed through this um, major ban on assault weapons. Um, Illinois is not the first state to do this, but um, this law that bans, I want to say, 75, 85 types of different assault-style weapons, high-capacity magazines. Uh, This law is now tied up in uh, federal courts. Um, There was recently oral arguments uh, on appeal at Mm. the Seventh Circuit, and this might even wind up at the U.S. Supreme Court if there's, you know, of course, uh, gun rights activists are always looking for the kind of perfect uh, test case. Um, And, of course, with the conservative majority Supreme Court, uh, they're looking to... uh, you know, strengthen the Second Amendment even more. So that's tied up. But I want to highlight some reporting from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, Our friends there dug into the data to try to understand what impact Illinois' existing red flag law and clear and present danger law had after the Highland Park shooting. Mm Because, you know, like I've reported on Springfield for a decade now, and like so many laws passed there, a lack of public information campaign really hampers their effectiveness if no one knows about a program or a law. So in the eight, nine months between early August of last year and until May, um, county judges all over Illinois granted 146 orders to take away guns from people considered a threat to themselves or others. That's nearly triple the rate at which judges had granted those orders in the first three and a half years of Illinois' red flag law. What we don't have good data on is how many red flag petitions were made but are pending or were denied, just given the fragmented nature of having 102 separate siloed county court systems in Illinois. But the shooter, um, he actually was not subject to a red flag complaint. But before he got his FOID card in late 2019, Highland Park Police had actually filed what's known as a clear and present danger report on him after he threatened suicide and uh, murder. But the state police kind of voided that report since at the time he didn't have an application for a FOID card. State police have since changed the protocol since that was uh, you know, kind of came to the surface after the shooting, and now they're retaining those uh, clear and present danger reports. So they have them on file. And the Tribune found that in the approximately 10 months between last year's shooting and the end of May, uh, state police received nearly 12,000 clear and present danger reports, which resulted in more than 5,000 FOID cards being revoked or applications being denied, wow. more than tr- double the number of the previous year. I, I appreciate that Oof. breakdown. I mean, we're, talk- we're talking, that was a thing that came out after the shooting, this discussion of the, the laws we already have on the books, are there ways they could have mm-hmm. prevented this? I do think it's worth pointing out, you know, as you mentioned, those red flag uh, laws, you 
can have someone's FOID card revoked. But as we've reported on here multiple times at WBEZ, even when someone gets their FOID card revoked, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that anybody ever goes to get their guns or right. gets their card. So there's a lot yeah, of exactly. loopholes in the system. You know, I've, I've spoken with, with Brendan Kelly, who's the head of the state police. I believe that they are focused on this issue. But at the same time, they're, yeah, as I was saying, there's just a lot of gaps in this system. I wonder, Jacoby, mm-hmm. if you have any thoughts on that. No, I think the same way when it comes to sort of gun regulation is, uh, you know, even if you, you ban certain types of guns, there are already so many in circulation. We already are living in a city that uh, has sort of has rampant illegal guns flowing into the city. And what we know is when human beings can't get their hands on something they want, an illicit black market thrives in that space. And there's already one thriving for guns. And so that I, I think why we should continue to push towards these legislation and while these numbers around red flag laws are, you know, uh, something to be, you know, somewhat optimistic about. Um, I, I am wondering just how far will legislation go? And by the time Illinois assault weapon ban comes back to us, what will it look like? If you're just joining us, this is Reset. I'm Patrick Smith in for Sasha and Simons. We're breaking down the biggest stories of the week with a panel of first-rate journalists. That was Jacoby Cochran of CityCast Chicago. We've also got Hannah Mizell of Capital News Illinois and Brandon Prope of CW26 and WBEZ's Making Podcasts. Also, don't forget that you can watch our news recap live on WBEZ Facebook and YouTube pages. You can leave us a comment or question or talk to us in the YouTube chat box. And I may just read what you have to say about these stories on the air. We've been talking about some heavy topics. They're important topics. I'm glad we're covering them. I want to turn to potentially lighter, maybe louder news, which is that (laughs) plenty of people throughout the city and suburbs were celebrating this 4th of July weekend. Some might say a little too much. The city received thousands of fireworks complaints. Did you all hear fireworks in your neighborhood? Uh, plenty. Come on. <laughs> what are you talking about? For days. Yes. <laughs> Numerous days. So, so Illinois is one of only three states where fireworks are actually illegal. But that mm-hmm. obviously, is, as we're hearing, that Ain't did not stop nobody. people. As all of you heard out there, it didn't stop anybody. Fireworks were, unfortunately, to blame for several garage fires on the southwest side. Brandon, it seems like we get some version of this story every year, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting this year it's rare that you have the fire department take policy stances, but the Chicago Fire Department has come down and been like, hey, now, y'all talking about legalizing fireworks? That's a no for us. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, no. And I get it. They received, they say, over 300 calls in a 24-hour period, and 14 of them were fire investigations, and eight of them involved fireworks. That's that's a pretty steep number. And this th- these garage fires on the southwest side, I mean, it, that, that's a large swath. Six garage fires there. Half of them, they estimate, were sparked by fireworks. No serious injuries reported, but... This people really are unsafe when it comes. We've we've seen viral videos of people. We, we have back off, Terry. Watch out, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But these things can turn really, really bad, really, really quick. So uh, it's just interesting you seeing CFD take a stand and be like, "Hey, now hold the brakes, pump yeah. them." Let's not legalize this now. Come on. I remember when Jason Pierre-Paul uh, lost his hand. Yeah, that was one, too. Yeah. yeah. I saw one. Somebody threw threw one in a car in, it, like, Atlanta. I, oh, my God. I watched, as I was driving home, somebody throw one into, a like, a J.J.'s fish. Like, <laughs> what? open the door, throw it in, Ugh. and then they took off. And I'm going to just keep it real now, with you. Yeah. Nope, I'm going to just keep it real with you. Yeah. I grew up in all Gale Gardens with my friends, throwing fireworks, you know, mm. making sure trash cans weren't in their best condition when we got done with them. <laughs> oh my God. There was a rite of passage about going across state lines, not just for gas, right. but for getting fireworks. And so in some parts, if Illinois lawmakers are going to say, hey, money is leaving Illinois, we should get paid off this, we should have fireworks. I wonder 
if we could start thinking systemically about this. All right, if this is coming down the pike, how do we build systems where the fire department, people in communities, no, they don't have to just you know, do these illegal fireworks mm. shows under the cover of night in their park, in their alleys. Maybe there could be more coordination yeah. with your local fire department. Maybe there's no, more coordination with your local park. Maybe there's more city efforts at not sort of being reactive to can we spot where the illegal fireworks shows are happening. And in many cases, like up in Lincoln Square, the same place they happen every single year. But how can we participate more? And it sounds like 40th Ward Alder person Andre Vasquez, who I've had on CityCast recently, he kind of wants to do something like that, where they they have a city-led or partnered initiative in bringing a fireworks show to the neighborhood, while also listening to neighbors who, you know, rightfully, between their pets, their own uh, desires for noise in the neighborhood, even trauma of some of their family members, don't want to hear fireworks just going off. So can we potentially be more coordinated? Because Obviously, people like them. And can we have more awareness? Can there mm-hmm. be a better campaign to get people more knowledgeable yeah. about how to handle these things? Because part of the issue, too, is you think it's kind of easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that, then stuff starts popping up. Right. No. <laughs> I saw one show let off all of their fireworks at the same time well, in a matter of like 25 of seconds. It was an accident. And so oh, even, no. even the big shows can go awry. One of the heaviest rainfalls in Chicago history put a damper on NASCAR's first ever street race. Still, the broadcast averaged more than 4.8 million viewers. NASCAR's most watched race in six years. Any of you watch it on screen? No. Technically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was on my hand. I saw some some Twitter clips and some nice TikTok, some TikTok clips. Yeah. Jacoby, mm-hmm. you de- you describe yourself as a NASCAR hater, is that right? <laughs> I describe myself as someone who hated on the NASCAR implementation strategy, everything from when it was announced last year up through. And I've, I've read the coverage and I understand that, you know, NASCAR is being lauded for its community outreach and for paying for it and for, you know, even some of its teardown processes. But I'm not going to lie, I was a little bit... I was giggling over the weekend when the rain came in, mostly because we hadn't really had any rain, Uh but then we had like events stopping rain. And the reason I think it it was important for people who had a problem with NASCAR to hate on it, it's because let's be honest, how much was the national audience really going to hear what local Chicagoans felt, what their drive was like, right? What their access to parks was like, what, what their, their weekend plans, how they were changed when, you know, NASCAR was going to have ESPN, the New York Times, and all these national media talking about this legendary street race. I thought it was okay for people to vent and get out their frustration, yeah. especially considering this is like a three-year contract. So it's not like it, you know, this was a one and done. It's probably going to happen again. Yeah, I want to dive into that. I mean, the, the TV broadcast, it showed some beautiful shots of our city yeah. and lakefront. But, you know, we're hearing the criticism from Jacoby. There was road rage over street closures. Hannah, I, I wonder you first. Was this worth it for the city? Oh, God. Um, You know, I think we have to wait for some final uh, numbers to come out. But just in terms of a cultural fit, it doesn't seem like a cultural fit to me. Um, That being said, raising our national profile, of course, Chicago, especially nationally, is talked about in a certain way. And, you know, we want to change that. Uh, I think everyone who has a stake in the city of Chicago's well-being wants uh, Chicago to be talked about in a more positive way. Mm. But, you know, I think like Jacoby was saying, uh, actually reaching out to communities that are going to be affected uh, by the traffic and the lack of access to, you know, Grant Park for weeks and weeks on end, uh, you know, pre and because Grant Park's also, I got, I think um, a few months ago, our colleague Heather Schroen at WTTW, she reported that 
of all the, you know, summer days in Chicago, uh, I think maybe two or three were actually going to be clear of any sort of event. And, you know, that is not great for a park that's supposed to be everybody's park, everybody's backyard. Mm. Hey, I, I saw some people talking about that Grant Park is less of a park and more of like a major event mm-hmm. space. Truly. At this point. It feels like Truly. a fairground. What, what do you think, Brandon? I mean, was it worth it? I, I'm, I, you know, we got to see the numbers, right? But honestly, I started out on Jacoby's side. I started out <laughs> being a big time, 10 toes down hater. Then I got to a point, all the hate was just like really overwhelming. I'm like, y'all, come on, let's just sit back for a minute no. and realize. <laughs> you know what sold me? Okay, the rain started to break a little bit, and you see these these skyline shots of those mm-hmm, cars. Mm-hmm. See these these shots of the cars driving around. And you got Chicago traffic in the background. Like, it looked Get cool. a drone. It Get looked, a look, drone look, or but listen, something. Here's like... the thing. To, to what Hannah was saying, though, Chicago is a top-tier city, and so I think it's a big deal that we are even – given an opportunity or looked at it as a, as a place to have something like this, the Midwest has racing culture. Illinois has racing culture. You know, it wasn't too long ago. NASCAR was hosted in Joliet, right? Mm -hmm. So to bring it to downtown Chicago, NASCAR's goal was to try to expand their reach. So if you just stay in the South and just stay racing in North Carolina and Alabama, doesn't really do much to expand your reach or grow the sport. I would bet you with all the outreach they did, and I've kind of heard this from people too, on the south side of Chicago, at the, the, the Bubba's Block Party at DuSable, you've got some people that are now a little more interested in NASCAR, piqued their interest a bit. And if this, let, let's let's see, next year, maybe the weather's better. They need to lower the ticket costs. I'll tell you yeah, that. Yeah. The ticket, we saw a lot of empty seats in the stands. I think part of that was the mm-hmm. weather, but the other part was it's like $200, $300 a ticket. So yeah. bring those costs down so that everyday people can go to it, just like a Sox game costs maybe $50. Give us some lower cost options, and I think it, you could see this grow even more. But I think for the first time around, with all the rain and weather, I think it was a success optically for Chicago. Yeah. Right? So, so NASCAR, optically, you know, as Jaco- <laughs> I don't care about these optics, man. You, well, that's Jacoby's like, okay, there were some nice shots on TV. I need more than that. Well, 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 as Jacoby was talking about, NASCAR's contract with Chicago is through 2025. It's a terrible contract, to be honest. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. You know, either side can decide not to go forward with another race right. over the next two years. Do you think NASCAR or the city of Chicago are going to green light this again next year? I think they will. Yeah. I I think they will. One, because the weather didn't really give it a fair shot. Mm. I think that we could try this again. Hopefully the weather's better. I'm sure it will be because it's it's hard to be worse than (laughs) what we got. (laughs) Okay. Uh, See if these concerts work out this time, Mm -hmm. right? Like they had a whole thing planned and a lot of that just literally got the parade got rained on. So let's try it again. I think Brandon Johnson, he's a sports guy. I think he's open to it. Uh, they may need to relook at some of the terms because the fact that it's actually bringing in less than Lollapalooza would, it's kind of like, why'd you even strike that deal? Yeah. But, but I, I think it's worth trying again. Speaking of, I mean, two aldermen want an independent uh, cost-benefit analysis done before agreeing to host again. Yeah. Jacoby, do you think that makes sense? Uh, of course. I think we need to figure out logistically what is the best way to go forward from construction to cost. Um, you know. Sure, there were some great shots. The museum looked cool. <laughs> the skyline looked cool. But this idea of sort of challenging conservative narratives through 
you know, capitulating to the activities that they like mm. seems very anti-Chicago to me. It seems very kind of weak sauce to me. Like, if that's how you feel about us, that's how you feel about us. Like, racing cars in, like, in the streets, I don't think it's going to change that for anybody. Oh, Chicago's downtown is beautiful. We've been knew that. We've been telling you that. What did you learn? I think it's more than just conservative narratives. Though. I just think it's narratives overall. People, people flippantly are- joke about Chicago being... Oh, it's a dangerous place to be, whether they're conservative or liberal or whatever. I just I just think the more that we put ourselves in the spotlight and show that we have more to offer than this war zone narrative, I think it's better for everybody. Whose narrative is that, though? That's, that's I mean, not surely it's a, it's a conservative driven narrative. Right, but I think that other people play into that as well that aren't conservative. You, you know, you know what I'm saying? And Grant Park is not the emblem of that. So through NASCAR <laughs> coming here, sitting we, outside we a museum and around Buckingham. No, I don't want it on the south side. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying. <laughs> do, do narratives change being in Grant Park? That's that's a worthy question. That's a worthy question. It's a good question. Although, I mean, I think to Brandon's point, you know, for like Fox News grandpas who are like convinced that this city is constantly on fire, maybe mm-hmm. this was a chance to show. I show saw nothing on different. fire. Yeah, like, you know, yeah. not until gr- a couple days later when the fireworks. Were exactly, going up, exactly. <laughs> and sorry, I cut you off. I think oh no, I mean, there. I also think we'd be remiss to not mention the fact that the Taste of Chicago was postponed till September to accommodate this. And I mean, personally, I haven't been in the Taste in at least a decade. But I know it's a big draw for families and postponing it to September when school's already started is kind of a bummer for people who make this a yearly tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that that the, the Taste of Chicago is iconic. Jacoby, do you go do, are you are you concerned about that that part of this, the change in the date? I, I have enjoyed the local tastes that have been going on mm-hmm. since the the mm-hmm. pandemic took hold. And so I think we've been as a city pretty smart and innovative about trying new things there. And so I, I wasn't as concerned with the taste being moved because I knew we were gonna have those more local events. If you're just joining us, this is Reset. I'm Patrick Smith in for Sacha and Simons. We're breaking down the biggest stories of the week with a panel of journalists, Jacoby Cochran of CityCast Chicago, Hannah Mizell of Capital News Illinois, and Brandon Pope of CW26 and WBEZ's Making Podcast. Don't forget that you can watch our news recap live on WBEZ's Facebook and YouTube pages. You can leave us a comment or question or talk to us in the YouTube chat box. And I may just read what you have to say about these stories on air. So, as the rain was postponing NASCAR downtown, Chicago's 311 was recovering a was receiving a record Ooh. number of reports of basement flooding, particularly on the west and northwest sides. I got flooding. Did any of you guys get flooding in your basement? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, I didn't. No. I did no. not. No. All right. Well, I'm, I'm happy for you guys. I, 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 was, I didn't he call was, through. He I, was hoping for some empathy there. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, well, good for you today. guys, I guess. I'm the only, only jerk, her, jerk here dealing with that. So I, I didn't actually call not, uh, 311 about my flooding, so I wasn't part of this data, but there were more than 2,000 complaints of flooding to 311, more than nine inches of rain. I'm going to be dealing for weeks with trying to make sure I don't have mold in my basement. Oh. But anyway, that's a me problem, not a problem for any of you guys out there, although it sounds like a lot of people are dealing with that. Um, in the suburbs, Cicero got nine inches of water, and officials declared the west suburban town a disaster area. They also criticized the Metropolitan Water Reclamation yeah. District for prioritizing Chicago neighborhoods over the suburbs. I'll say we had somebody from the MWRD on yesterday who said, hey, we've been criticized the other way where, where the city says you're not prioritizing us. And he says that's not how it works. You know, obviously they're going to say that. I'm not saying I don't believe them, but uh-huh. I just mean they're not going to say, yeah, we did it. Screw you, Cicero. <laughs> Jacoby, do you think Cicero has a point? I mean, Anybody who is sort of at this point dealing with massive flooding in their town is going to want to point the fingers at somewhere. And I think it's another reason why we sort of hate on big events and things Mm. that take up attention is because 
you know, while the front pages are talking about NASCAR, thousands of people are dealing with, you know, wondering is Chicago, is Illinois' water infrastructure ready for this type of rain? Because it seems we keep finding ourselves flat-footed here to the point where for the first time in three years, they had to reverse the flow of the river into Lake Michigan to to relieve some of this water. You know, we've talked to the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District because I needed to know What does the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District do? And now that I know it's about anything that has to do with Chicago's waterways and making sure that they're safe, that they're healthy, that they flow correctly. Uh, And I know that they're dealing with a monumental task in trying to to provide relief across Illinois. And so I understand where Cicero is coming from. And I, you know, my my hope is that families can find relief. Uh, But also for for anyone dealing with flooding, you should definitely be checking out what are some things to do to protect your home? What should you do with damaged property? uh, But also how you should be interacting with that that flood water, which can be filled with all kinds of stuff. Yeah, climate and environmental justice are are kind of quiet crises right now that people need to be Mm -hmm. paying more attention to. And Mayor Brandon Johnson partially ran on, so we got to see what he's going to do when it comes to this. But the fact that the South and West Side in particular were most impacted by yeah. This flooding really speaks yeah. to what this issue really is, right? We're create it's creating more divides. The climate crisis is the climate crisis, and it's impacting everybody. We've already what does they say? This is the third uh, hottest day ever mm. in the yeah. in America in the world. In the world, yeah. yeah this week and this yeah. week, a couple days this week, the hottest in the world. Right, which is just wild. Isn't that yeah. crazy? So there's, something's got to be done. We got to stop pushing these climate and environmental issues. Is just passive issues. We've got to be more active about it. Yeah, Hannah, what do you think? I mean, we we see, you know, this came, uh, this torrential downpour came when we had one of the driest Junes. We had just had Mm. this world's worst air quality because of the smoke from the Canadian wildfires. Then we get the downpour. What scientists are saying is we should expect more sort of extreme weather events. Is this the sort of thing that's going to make people take this more seriously and say, oh, yeah, like I knew climate change was real, but now I know we got to act? Or I've heard people express the other concern where we're going to go straight from sort of denialism to to uh, to to hopelessness and just say, look, it's horrible. We just got we just got to move on. I mean, yes, I've I've heard definitely both. Um, I think that. We were in this window of time where we can still do something, but uh, we don't know when that window will close. Uh, and honestly, more than likely, it'll be sooner than uh, we are prepared for. But we're in this window right now. And uh, the thing about it is our infrastructure is aging. Mm-hmm. Um, this is <laughs> this is something that takes a lot of money. But, um, you know, city, suburbs, whatever, that to deal with aging infrastructure, it takes money and more than likely takes property taxes, uh, you know, being raised or money moved around. And that is a hard sell in Illinois. Of course, we have uh, the second highest property taxes behind New Jersey. Um, Property taxes are something that is very visceral because you get an envelope twice a year. You got to pay them. Mm -hmm. Um, Unlike an income tax where, you know, for the most part, if you're uh, employed somewhere, it automatically comes out of your paycheck. Um, Other taxes you pay right at the store. It's on your receipt, but you don't really feel it. Um, And so the way that Illinois has uh, for years structured its entire tax system, it just makes it unfortunately a harder sell. But again, it needs money to deal with it uh, and it needs very smart planning and it needs to be done in a way where certain communities aren't left behind because these climate crisis areas um, across the globe, they are more likely to affect uh, countries, cities, states. Mm Uh, where historically people have been under-resourced. Yeah. And something that's not getting a lot of urgency either, 
Lead pipes. Chicago got a lot of old lead Mm -hmm. pipes. We talk about Flint and the water crisis there. The longer we wait, Mm. the more we move closer to that. So that's another thing. Talk about that any day. Yeah, man. It's bad. Let's turn to politics. Brandon, Mayor Johnson, Mayor Brandon Johnson, I'm also coming to you, Brandon. Mayor Johnson is shaking (laughs) things up. Brandon, what's going on with the Chicago Board of Education? It's going to happen a lot. Brandon (laughs) Pope, Brandon Johnson, it's going to happen. So, Chicago Board of Education, this is actually the last iteration of an appointed school board before Mm -hmm. we get to the elected uh, over in 2025, 21-member board. And Brandon Johnson did almost a complete clear-out when it comes to getting his own board of education, replacing all but one. Past years, he had a lot of lawyers and bankers, consultants, stuff like that. Johnson, he favors more activists, more Mm -hmm. the grassroots sector, community organizers, nonprofit sector. Um, And the biggest point to Johnson after in in a statement he released was he takes a lot of pride in these being CPS parents. He put a lot of a lot of value and weight on that. Their new school board president is uh, and please excuse my pronunciation, uh, Jianan Shi. 33 years old, uh, worked since 2019 as the executive director of a parent advocacy group called Raise Your Hand for Illinois Public Education. And then Elizabeth Todd Breland, she's the holdover. She's the board vice president. Um, She's the carryover from Lightfoot's era. Uh, She's at the University of Illinois, Chicago as a history professor. And she's one of the more progressive people um, on this board as well. So it's going to be interesting. Once again, the last fully appointed one in they face a lot of daunting mm-hmm. issues. I mean, education, it's a beast. I mean, you got you got a fiscal cliff looming here, about what, six hundred twenty eight million dollars. Academic mm-hmm. progress after COVID is a is a big thing swirling. Moratorium on school closures is coming mm-hmm. up. Yes. Aging buildings, enrollment declines. Lead pipes. <laughs> Lead pipes. I mean <laughs> back at it. You you you, you add, add more and more to it. It's not gonna be an easy task for any of these board members to handle, and they're gonna take a brunt of the blame for a lot of things that come with it. So we're going to have to see what they can put together and if Johnson put together a team that can make any sort of dents in these major issues we're seeing here. And I do think it's important to point out Mayor Johnson is not the first mayor to, to do this sort of major change at the, school, at, at the school board. Rahm Emanuel replaced most of the board when he came into office. Hannah, I want to turn to you. Re- former Republican gubernatorial candidate Darren Bailey is back in the news. What's he up to? <laughs> well, Darren Bailey, who uh, in November he... Lost pretty immediately uh, when polls closed to Governor J.B. Pritzker. Um, The ultra-conservative Republican uh, announced on his farm at an event on the 4th of July in the evening um, that he would be challenging uh, Congressman Mike Bost for Illinois' 12th district uh, down. It covers a lot of, uh, you know, southern Illinois, which... um, this is a really big geographic district, but of course, an area that has lost a lot of population in the last, uh, you know, several decades. Uh, Darren Bailey is, you know, he's kind of, it's an extension of the campaign he's been running for honestly years because he started campaigning for governor uh, when he rose to prominence in the early months of 2020, or early COVID rather, when he sued uh, to temporarily get out from under uh, Governor Pritzker's statewide stay-at-home order. And since then, he has been running this, you know, kind of crusade, you could say. Mm-hmm. And um, Mike Bost, who has been in Congress for the uh, better part of a decade, um, he has, he he definitely has the GOP establishment, but Darren Bailey, a person who uh, seems to have 
enjoyed the spotlight, and mm. he uh, doesn't yeah. want to give that up. So, so, so staying with you, Hannah, a, a, ch- a long chapter in Chicago's history of political patronage has come to a close, really, with almost no fanfare. Remind us about the, about the more than half-century-old Shackman decree, and tell us what happened in a courtroom yesterday. Right. So to understand what the Shackman decree is, we have to go back to the 1960s, the height of the power of former uh, legendary Mayor Richard J. Daley, uh, who built this Chicago machine. Of course, Chicago machine is nothing necessarily unique uh, in Tammany Hall. Uh, New York City, they had Tammany Hall. Mm. Uh, But the Chicago machine has kind of endured uh, in a number of ways, if for no other uh, reason, just the legend of it. Uh, the the aesthetic the the <laughs> the contention that mm-hmm. um, hiring anywhere in Cook County, Chicago, uh, Illinois politics is always political. Mm-hmm. Um, now the Shackman decree. Michael Shackman was this activist lawyer in his twenties. In 1969, he uh, sued uh, to get city halls uh, political hiring kind of monitored by a court. And since then, um, you know. Lots of departments in Chicago, Cook County, uh, state of Illinois, they also came under their own Shackman decrees. But in the last decade or so, um, lots of offices have gotten out from under the court monitors um, to, you know, prevent this political patronage. And uh, last year, when Governor J.B. Pritzker um, appealed uh, to the Seventh Circuit, basically they said, yeah, you know, it's been decades and decades. It's time um, you know, you have to comply with these certain things to prove that you are, you know, no longer in the era of patronage hiring. But according to that, you know, precedent, uh, you know, Karen Yarborough's office has, um, you know, they appealed. And here they are on Thursday, finally, the last office in Cook County, Chicago, Illinois, to get out from under their own Shackman decree. Yeah, I mean, the judge said, you know, hey, Clerk Yarbrough's office is not exactly a mo- model of hiring, <laughs> no. but the standards have been lowered, so you guys are, you know, mm-hmm. we shouldn't have this case last anymore. Um, I'm going to make a, like a NASCAR driver, you know, maybe about to drive into some tires, I'm going to try to make a real tight turn here and say that a Peoria-based initiative to get used ambulances and other emergency vehicles to help the Ukraine war effort continues to get both national and local donations. Peoria Hospital Executive Chris Manson started the organization U.S. Ambulances for Ukraine in March of last year. With a new shipment that went out this week, they will have delivered 51 ambulances, eight fire engines, and five SUVs to Ukraine. I mean, it's just amazing what people can accomplish when they come together, right? Yeah, it really is. That's actually quite unbelievable. It, really, it is. So, so that's my remarkable story of the week. I want to hear what stories stuck with you all this week that we haven't talked about. Maybe they surprised you. You thought they were underreported. Brandon, I'll start with you. Yeah, you know, it just actually dropped today. Uh, Northwestern football coach Pat Fitzgerald, uh, the hazing investigation that's been gone going for a while. I've kind of forgot it was happening. He got suspended for two weeks, which feels like a slap on the wrist. Two weeks, no pay, and it starts, uh, I believe, tomorrow, so before the football season. So it seems like it's kind of a, a whimper and move on to the yeah. football season. They're going to lose some games, and that's Northwestern for you. Jacoby? Um, an episode from City Cash Chicago dropped this week featuring legendary Chicago roller skater Sweet T, a.k.a. Teresa Farrell, a.k.a. My Mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we learn all about why has roller skating been such a cultural gem uh, for Chicago's black communities for since she was that's two amazing. years old. Yeah. Can I ask, is the, the, the good news song, is that only for the City Cast podcast, or can we get some for our what listeners? What do you mean? Here? Some good news. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Hannah, nice. Hannah, what about you? Oh, gosh. Well, 
Now I'm. Uh, Did you have a story about your really adorable story about your mom? You want to share? <laughs> I, I know that she's listening, and I always have adorable stories about my mom. But I hate to be a downer. Um, I want to highlight that it's been a hundred days since um, Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkowitz has been locked up in Russia, wow. even though he's committed no crime. And press freedom around the world. We are, um, you know, here in the United States, the frustrations that we uh, have had as reporters pale in comparison to uh, what journalists experience um, in countries around the world that have much less press freedom. Uh, in fact, you know, every year there are journalists who are murdered and, you know, for their cause for trying to reveal the truth about what is happening in their city and their nation. Yeah, press freedom is what makes this recap possible. I really appreciate you bringing that story up so that, that people can be reminded of this, uh, of what's going on in Russia and the importance to bring Evan home. Um we got about a minute here, so 10 seconds for each person. What are you looking forward to this week? I'm going to go the other direction. Hannah, you go. Oh, God, it is a beautiful weekend. I think the humidity has temporarily lifted, and I don't mind it hot. I love the hot weather, but I think it'll be nice to get some good respite, good breezes going, and hopefully enjoy the weekend. Yeah. Cherry Mountain Arts over on 836 North Milwaukee uh, is having a Joe Fresh Goods, King Rello, Chicago every, Everything archive sale right. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I think I might pull up. You're going to be right in before, line? I mean, I got my Rello shirt on <laughs> right now, my Joe Fresh Goods hat on. So, yeah, I'm excited for the sale. Way to rep. All right. Hey, Chicago Sky play tonight, 7 o'clock. Uh, they've had a lot of upheaval with James Wade's exit. So let's see how they carry forward and see if they can be competitive and push for the playoffs. Is this the first game for the new coach? This is the, I believe, second or third. But, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they move forward as they try to figure out, do we get a GM, a head coach? What are we going to do? Yeah. I was talking to Marquita, who's like our biggest Sky fan, and she, she said she's not mad at James Wade. You know, you, if you get your opportunity, you got to take it. I'm not really either. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> All right. Exactly. That, that is it for the weekly news recap. My thanks to Jacoby Cochran of CityCast Chicago, Hannah Mizell of Capital News Illinois, and Brandon Pope of CW26 and WBEZ's Making Podcast. Thank you all so much. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrea Guffman. It was edited by Andrew Merriweather, Maha Ahmed, and Stephanie Kim. Get our weekly news recap and every episode of Reset each day by subscribing to our podcast. And when you do, be sure to share our show with a friend who might enjoy it. Share our show, support our show. That'll do for Reset. I'm Patrick Smith, in for Sasha Ann Simons. Have a lovely weekend. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.